traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. You're listening to More Money. This is 77 WBC Talk Radio. Thanks so much for joining us on this Saturday afternoon. I hope you're having a great summer. I hope you had a great 4th of July weekend. Uh, I want to now turn to our uh, first two guests. By the way, we're not going to be able to do the More Money Hotline today because we have so many great guests today that we just aren't going to take have the time to take your calls, but we will back, be back next week, I promise you, to take your calls because that's always one of my favorite features of this show. But uh, for now, I want to introduce two of my partners who have been working with me at the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. And by the way, if you are not getting the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, Prosperity Hotline every morning, then you're really missing out. It is one of the top-rated uh, political economic uh, newsletters, and it's, uh, you can read it five minutes every morning. And uh, if you want to get that, just go to Committee to Unleash Prosperity website and just sign up, and you're going to love this, folks. It is free. It costs you nothing. Uh, so um, my first guest is uh, Phil Kirpin, uh, who is the president of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. He's also with American Commitment. You see him all the time on Fox News, including a regular on Laura Ingram's evening show. And then Peter Roth, who is a long-term, one of the smartest guys in politics in uh, America. I was going to say in Washington, D.C., but I think the whole country. Peter is one of the senior economic writers for Newsweek and has been involved in the free market conservative movement for years. So, gentlemen, thanks for joining me today. Phil, I want to start with you, if I may. would love a, an update on COVID. And I'm reading the newspapers. I'm reading about what's happening around the country and around Europe and the rest of the world. And everybody seems to be freaking out about this new variant. Uh, how afraid should we be? Uh, great to be with you, Steve. We should not be very afraid at all. Uh, and, and there are two reasons for that. One is that the Delta variant uh, is uh, responsive to both prior immunity from previous natural infection and to all can of the I, vaccines let me just, that have been used. The Delta so variant, right. what, country, what country did that come from? The Delta That's the variant. one that came from India. They renamed them, so they don't want to call them by country names anymore because it's uh, you know, not nice to the country they come yeah. from or something like that. Yeah. So they, they renamed the UK variant is now the Alpha variant, and the uh, Indian is now <laughs> okay. the Delta. Got so it. that's the uh, that's the th those are the terms you're going to see everywhere now. So I've adopted them. But uh, basically, the vaccines are still highly effective, uh, and previous natural infection is protective as well. And so what we're seeing when we look in the UK data, and they have very detailed data in the UK that they put out every couple of weeks. So they just put out very extensive data yesterday on this. Uh, in the older population, where almost everyone is vaccinated. There just aren't a lot of cases, uh, and the cases that they do have, uh, the the um, outcomes are pretty much comparable uh, to the other uh, in, to the earlier variants. Uh, in the unvaccinated population, where they do have a very large number of cases, uh, the severity is actually significantly less than the previous variants, and so it is it is a little bit more infectious. That part is true, but it is less severe, it is less likely to cause hospitalization and death 
than the other variants. So over time, this is sort of the normal evolution of viruses. They tend to get more infectious, but less virulent. And that's what we see with this. And in fact, the uh, under age 50 in the UK, because they break out the data this way, under age 50 in the UK, uh, the Delta variant in unvaccinated people has a mortality rate of 0.03%, which is actually half of the under 50 uh, mortality rate of the UK variant. Why then are we seeing so many of these politicians freaking out about this? I mean, I'm hearing some of the Democratic governors uh, saying we got to bring back mask mandates. We got to maybe shut down. We can't have everything reopened again. I think you're seeing some other some countries in Europe and so on uh, moving back towards uh, these terrible lockdowns. Why are they overreacting? Well, they're definitely overreacting. Why? At this point. It's hard to say why a lot of these politicians do, uh, you know, any of the things they've done over the past year. Uh, but look, I mean, the, on the merits, uh, there is no cause for overreaction or concern based on the Delta variant. I would say it is a little bit more transmissible, but it is less dangerous, not more. And if you're worried about it, get the vaccine. The vaccine is effective against it. And we now have that available. Saying by turn to Peter, uh, what is your view? I asked Scott Atlas about this last week, but I'd like to on balance, it's a good thing for school children to be vaccinated. I see that the National Education Association wants every school child vaccinated. I don't know if they've changed their position in the last 48 hours, but does that make sense? No, I don't think it makes sense. They want them vaccinated and they want them bathed in hand sanitizer all day long while they're in school. Um, as, as, Phil, uh, as Phil will no yeah. doubt agree, um, the data shows that school age K through 12 kids, by and large, are COVID resistant naturally. Why? Don't know. But there is no example of a of a of a of a super spreading event happening anywhere in a in a K through 12 school that stayed open. Um, whether the NEA is pushing this because they want money, uh, because they want uh, they want to force smaller class sizes which has long been an objective Mm -hmm. of the American Teachers Union, even though there seems to be no relationship between class size and and ability to teach. Um, Or they just want to keep the the schools, have an excuse to lock the schools down again and force kids to to back to home learning. I don't know. Um, But this is is a a bizarre demand. They had a resolution on it at their national convention. It was it was badly defeated and then removed from their website. They're so embarrassed by it. Um, but you know, the, 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 the other teachers organization, the American Federation of Teachers, uh, president Randy Weingarten got in a lot of trouble a couple of weeks ago because she tweeted out that she'd been on the forefront of the fight to get schools open. Um, which of course is just (laughs) not true. That is, that is a laughable claim. I mean, everyone should be laughing. I think, I don't know if she's retracted that statement, but I think most Americans did, uh, were stunned by that she would say something that incredibly dishonest. Uh, Phil, I'm hearing that, uh, by the way, that was Peter Roth of Newsweek, and uh, also with us is Phil Kirpin, who is with the Committee on Least Prosperity and also American Commitment. Phil, I was talking to my brother-in-law yesterday uh, in the Chicago area this weekend, and he was telling me that uh, he's a teacher in junior college at one of the junior colleges here, and he said they're not having classes in the fall, that he will be, again, doing his uh, classes via uh, the Internet. That is 
I mean, that's, I mean, I don't even know what to say about that, Steve. I mean, there's no <laughs> way. make any sense. No way you could possibly. I mean, I'm amazed that people are willing to pay for it. You know, I mean, I, right. I don't. I mean, you could just watch YouTube instead and not pay tuition. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm skeptical that there's much value in that from the student standpoint. And it certainly isn't justified uh, from a health standpoint. But, you know, I mean, what hap- what's happened in some of these, you know, ultra liberal places is they've just decided that, you know, they're going to live in permanent fear of a virus that we've largely conquered. And, and I, well, uh, I think there's something else going on here. Um, and it kind of Peter touched on it, but he danced around it very diplomatically. But it seems to me teachers don't want to teach. I mean, I asked my brother-in-law, I'm not going to mention his name, and he said, look, well, these guys kind of like doing the Zoom. They can do their, they can do their uh, classes in the pajamas. They don't have to drive to work. They don't have to deal with the students. I mean, it, it really speaks poorly, by the way. Some of the schools are basically telling teachers they have the option. You can either right. do by Zoom or you can uh, have in class. And, uh, you know, it speaks very poorly that so many of these teachers say, oh, I'm going to do the Zoom option. I'm not going to go into the classroom. Steve, I'm not going to actually help uh, these kids. Our, our colleague, our colleague, Casey Mulligan, who's one of our senior fellows, yeah. Committee on Leash Prosperity told me that uh, in the economics department at the University of Chicago, they gave each professor the choice to teach in person or to teach remotely. And he was literally the only professor in the entire department to teach in person <laughs> this year. And that, 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 that does not speak well of our, uh, of our professors and teachers. Um, I want to, we just have a couple minutes left before our break, and then I'll have you two back because there's so much to talk about. Uh, any quick thoughts about this new executive order that uh, it goes on and on for pages and pages by uh, Biden? It really looks like a massive new regulatory authority over American businesses. And Peter, I, I think you were the first one who under the this under the guise that. under the under the guise of encouraging competition. Competition. Um, <laughs> I, and and if there's one thing that we know. You know, having 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 any understanding of the free market, people don't need to have to be told how to compete. It's a natural instinct. But the but the government is trying to manage competition. The Biden administration, President Joe Biden, is trying to manage competition and the behavior of business. They want to limit mergers and acquisitions. They want to they want a global standard to, for for corporate tax rates. And and now they're trying to manage behavior. There are a couple of small things in there that that in theory I like. For example, the the reduction in the use of non-compete agreements and the right, right, um, right. occupational licensing reform. Yeah. But we'll have yeah. to see what that looks like. But but yeah. but overall, this is just this is just more Washington management of business and more Washington management of the economy. And I'll just remind everybody that government management of the economy brought us the lockdowns, and it yeah. brought us the Bush crash of 2007 in the subprime um, mortgage market that almost took Wall Street down. Yeah, you know, and I was saying in my opening comments of the, for the show that, you know, if you look at the U.S. stock market over the last 30 so years versus the Japanese stock market, ours has gone up 30-fold and Japan has been pretty flat. And Japan has used the government subsidy and government oversight and government management of their industries. And that, that model has not worked. But Phil, you've looked at that executive order. Is there anything? I mean, there's so many bad things in there. Is there anything that sticks out to you? Well, I, you know, to me, what was really striking is the number of bullet points in there that are directing the Federal Trade Commission to investigate yeah. this, that, and the other thing. And uh, that's a supposedly independent agency. And I'm always amazed that 
you know, when we have Republican administrations, if they, you know, so much as talk to the heads of independent agencies, it's a scandal. And how dare they? They're interfering. And in Democratic right. administrations, they can just direct them what to do. And that's fine. And you know, I think this whole independent agency idea is a little bit ridiculous. I would collapse them all into the executive branch and subject them to oversight and regulatory review and so forth, because you actually get to vote for president. You don't, you don't get to vote for these commissions. And we, get, we have this weird situation where, you know, when Republicans are in, they're supposed to be hands off on all these independent agencies yeah. and Democrats come in and they just tell them what to do. And so you've got the FCC, well, and then you've got yeah. the FCC, another independent agency. They tell them to bring back the net neutrality rules, of course, for ISPs only, not for the big tech guys. And it's kind of like, you know, I'm not for doing it on anyone. But if you're going to have regulations because you say that there's gatekeeper power, the idea that it's the ISPs and not the tech guys, it's so bizarre. Yeah. Uh, just kind well, of I would, the loyalties the administration on. Yeah. I just add what you you called the uh, regulatory is ridiculous. I, I would use the term unconstitutional. I mean, we have three branches of government. Uh, last time I looked at our constitution, but apparently we have four because there's no oversight of these regulatory agencies. They they are an unconstitutional fourth branch of government. And you're right. They should either be part of the executive branch under the authority of the president or they should be abolished. Uh, I'm, I'm for abolishing <laughs> for the most part. OK, we will have Phil uh, Kirpin. Uh, of American Commitment and Community Unleash Prosperity, and Peter Roth of Newsweek back in one minute. Uh, I want to talk about the lay of the land with the Biden agenda. So you're watching, you're listening to more money on WABC Talk Radio, and we will be right back. It's more money with leading economist Steve Moore. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. This is Steve Moore. You're listening to More Money on 77 WABC Talk Radio. I'm talking to my colleagues and good friends and some of the smartest guys around in terms of uh, the political situation in Washington and COVID and all of these issues. So uh, Phil Kirpin is with American Commitment, is also the president of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. And Peter Roth is with Newsweek and helps us write the committee uh, hotline that comes out every morning. And by the way, if you want that, folks, you should get it. Go to the Committee to Unleash Prosperity website and you can sign up for it. It's the best newsletter in town and it's also free. So uh, nothing to stop you from getting it and I hope you will enjoy it. So let's get into, gentlemen, thanks again for joining me this afternoon. Let's talk about the Biden agenda. And I'm going to put out my theory and I want you guys to agree or disagree with what I have to say, which is I think that Biden is is in some is floundering right now. I think his agenda on ta massive tax increases, four trillion dollars of new spending that he wants, and uh, and the uh, trillions and trillions of new debt is is fading fast, which is a good thing for America. I submit one of the reasons the stock market is doing so well is investors have caught on that the most uh, the worst features of Biden's anti-capitalism agenda are not going to happen. But Peter, uh, and you are free to agree or disagree with me. Do I have the story right? I'm free to disagree. Okay. Um, I think you largely have the story right at the moment. Um, this, is a, this is a big, heavy semi-truck of government regulation, more spending, and higher taxes that's stuck in the mud. That doesn't mean they can't pull it out. Right. But it doesn't look good right now. I am I am looking well, at you polling think good, data. It doesn't look. Just to clarify, you it, mean it, it doesn't, doesn't look good. It doesn't look good for the agenda. Yeah. The agenda right now. Which um, is a good thing the infrastructure bill is going to get hung up over the eighty billion dollars 
They want to give the IRS for more audits of middle-class Americans, something that you've taken a lead fighting at the committee. Um, The tax increases are not popular with anybody. Uh, A lot of the spending is too much for the conservatives and not enough spending for the liberals. And they're threatening, the, the, the radicals like AOC are threatening to take down the infrastructure bill where there appears to be a bipartisan agreement in the Senate. We'll see how that works out if they don't get all the other nonsense that they want. But the data, yeah, the data seems see to say the, the data seems to say that Biden was elected to do a better job managing COVID than Trump had right. been doing. Right. And he's done that. And the attitude of the American public generally seems to be, OK, thank you. Now stop. So, Phil, what is uh, your assessment? By the way, I want to just clarify one thing that Peter was saying. It is a bad thing for Biden, but it's a good thing for the country that his agenda is stalled. I don't want there to be any any ambiguity about that because his agenda is so very dramatically anti-growth and anti-worker and uh, anti-prosperity. But uh, do you see these roadblocks ahead or do you think he's going to sail through and get all this stuff passed? Well, look, I think they have a better than even money chance of getting an infrastructure bill done because there's so many Republicans that seem to want it. And they've got kind of the framework of an agreement. And it seems like Republicans are falling over themselves to move closer and closer to the Democratic position. And so I don't want to be so optimistic as to say that uh, it'll collapse because I think, you know, they, you know, if they pass something with 75 votes in the Senate, you know, as much as Nancy Pelosi saying, I won't take it up unless you also do all these other things and tax hikes and all the rest. I, 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 at the end of the day, she's not going to not pass something that has 75 Senate right. votes, in my opinion. And so I think it's yeah. more likely than not that they do pass an infrastructure bill. And, of course, you know, I hope it won't have the big IRS plus up and some of the other really obnoxious things in it. Uh, but, you know, then the question is, can they do the big tax like bill by reconciliation and Bernie Sanders budget and all the rest of that? And they're going to have some difficulty even getting that budget through the house where they have a very yeah. slim majority and the budget's so right. crazy. I mean, they're going to have some challenges yeah. there. Uh, you know, I, I, if I had to say, I, if I had to say one way or the other, I think they get something, but it will not be Biden's dream list by a long shot. Everything will be whittled down pretty dramatically to what, you know, some of the, some of the worst things, Peter, that we were worried about a month, few months ago, it seems like the, the door has slammed shut on those. For, so for, I'm going to mention them and tell me if you think alive or dead. Uh, H, the uh, election reform HR one bill, alive or dead? On on in a coma on life support, on life support. Okay, not dead, uh, but in a packing, coma packing, on life support. Yeah, packing packing the Supreme Court. Uh, we'll have to wait for the commission report, but at the moment, dead. What about um, getting uh, getting rid of the filibuster? Uh, I think that's dead. Uh, D.C. 51st state. Dead for the moment. Okay. Yeah, dis- disagree with any of that, Bill? Uh, you know, I think that the, the one question that determines all those other ones is the filibuster one. Uh, for yeah, now, it looks right. like uh, it looks like that's holding. But, you know, what I tell people, you know, we've had all these crazy bills passed the house, all the things you listed right. and more like the one that bans state right to work laws and all the rest of that. You know, if the filibuster goes, all that stuff is suddenly goes from dead to, you know, very, very much in play. So at the moment, Manchin and Sinema are saying they're not going to kill the filibuster. It means all that other stuff is dead. 
Um, but you know, if two people change their mind, that changes. So you know, they're dead. But even 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 so, Phil, you know, with the with the narrowness of the Senate, you know, at fifty fifty, there are some small state Democrats who are in cycle, not in cycle, guys like Warnick in Georgia, um, who don't have to take positions on some of those things uh, right. because they know it's never going to come telling, up. And a lot of these guys are probably telling them, right. like, oh, so go take the bullet." We got 60 seconds left. Two, two last ones. Uh, will Biden get the uh, what? What will the uh, corporate tax rate be today? It's 21 percent. I think they go to 25 uh, in the reconciliation. I I think I think it stays at 21. Okay, good. I don't think they get a corporate <laughs> tax hike. And the final one. Uh, the final one. Uh, we've been working at the Committee on Election Prosperity on this massive death tax increase and, and taxing the capital gains at death, which would be a 40% massive increase in, in a state taxes. Uh, Phil, does that get done? Uh, no, we're going to stop it. And we've already got we're tests happening. He doesn't like I love it. it. So Peter? I'm, I'm feeling confident. Peter, you better get this one right. It, if, Phil, if Phil says it's stopped, it's stopped. Phil is never wrong. All right. <laughs> Folks, that's Peter Roth with Newsweek and, uh, and Phil Kirpin with the Committee on Unleashed Prosperity. I'll be right back with the great Arthur Laffer to talk about the tax bill. Stay tuned. You're listening to more money on WABC 77 Talk Radio. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 